1: Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to The Future of Entrepreneurship, of Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I'm Sam Sanders, and you are listening to Intuit from Vulture and New York Magazine. And we're going to talk today about what happens to child stars after the childhood stardom. For many of them, we know the path. There's some big artistic shifts to indicate that they're an adult now. And then there's bigger fame and even more money in adulthood. Then there are the ones who run away from their stardom entirely, disappear from the public eye, and just live a quieter life. But there is one former child star that I'm kind of obsessed with right now who has found a third way. Her name is Christy Carlson Romano, and she's made a career out of talking about what it was like to be a child star, and what comes after. If you're around my age, you might remember the Disney stuff Christy starred in. There was this one Disney show called Even Stevens. It's a family sitcom all about this really rambunctious kid and his more even-keeled sister. It had a very young Shia LaBeouf, and it had Christy Carlson Romano playing Shia's older sister, Wren Stevens.
3: Like my dad always says, good, better, best, never stop to rest until the good is better and the better best.
2: She was smart and full of opinions and the perfect foil to Shia's character. She was also just really fun to watch. So Christy didn't just play Wren Stevens on that show. She also voiced Kim on Disney's Kim Possible.
0: I'm your basic average girl and I'm here to save the world. You can't stop me cause I'm Kim Possible.
2: And before all the Disney stuff, Christy also performed in musicals all over the country. She was very much a child actor. And for the last few years, Christy has been pulling back the curtain on what that was like. You may have heard her podcast or seen some of her YouTube videos. There's one called, Why I Don't Talk to Shia LaBeouf.
3: Everybody always asks me this question, if we're still in touch, if we're still friends. To be honest, I don't even really know if we were ever really friends.
2: Another one called, How I Lost All My Money.
3: The biggest regret I have is that a psychic came into my life and managed to get a bunch of money for me.
2: Also, How Katy Perry Got My Record Deal.
3: I was told that I didn't have a deal, and that Katy Perry did.
2: Christy talks about manipulation and addictions and struggles with her parents all the things. We're going to talk with Christy this episode about why she's more candid than most former child actors and what she thinks needs to change to make things better for kids acting and performing now. All right, here's our chat. I want to start out by just describing your three Disney shows that you took part in uh, for listeners who maybe haven't watched them. I watched them all. I am Quite possibly one of the biggest Even Stevens fans that exist. Love that show. Loved you in it. But for those who weren't watching, you played Ren Stevens on Even Stevens. You voiced Kim Possible on the show Kim Possible. There was also Cadet Kelly. How would you, like, describe those shows for listeners?
3: So, Even Stevens was a show that I co-starred with Shia LaBeouf on. It was a show that was very similar to Malcolm in the Middle, where he was the younger brother, and his two older siblings uh, were uh, perfect at everything. So, like, I was an overachiever, and the other brother, the oldest brother in high school, was, like, a super athlete. And his mom was a senator, and the father was a lawyer. So, he just was this comedian kid that Shia played to a T at the time. And there was a, there was a vibe of comedy, slapstickiness, chaos, and also just like our styles on the show. Like anytime I see a Hawaiian shirt, I'm like, (laughs) like after, after Shia or Lewis's character made that whole look a thing, it was Mm -hmm. in every single Disney Channel show.
2: That's wild.
3: Like that passed.
2: (laughs) Yeah. 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 So there was that one. Then there was also, I mean, like the Humongo hit that was Kim Possible.
3: Yeah, so I think Cadet Kelly had already happened though. Okay. Um, so Cadet Kelly was the movie they asked me to do with Hillary Duff, and it was basically Private Benjamin. And so it was like this blonde girl who's like really sweet and artistic and goes to this military school and encounters my character, who's this like really rigid, uh, tough chick, almost a bully, but then you find out that she's actually got a heart of gold. I'm sorry. Did I accidentally snatch this ratty old thing away from you? In my experience, people don't snatch accidentally. And it's not ratty. It is now. And keep it out of my barracks! It checked a lot of boxes for fans of both of our shows at the time.
2: Yeah, yeah. So
3: that that synergy was what made it so popular. And one of the highest rated, for a long, long time, highest rated um, DCOMs. Uh, yeah. For decades, I think. And then. Disney I think, comedy is DCOM? D- Disney Channel original movie. Oh, DCOM.
2: Oh, D-com. I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I know.
3: And then, yeah. And then Kim Possible was something that sort of came through, and they were like, you know, we know you from these things. Would you mm-hmm. consider, at a high level, would you consider auditioning, right? And so I just kind of think that uh, Mark and Bob liked my approach to Kim Possible because I'd been a singer. But, you know, I was able to use my voice uniquely. And so I could be kind of a teenage girl, but then I could go into that action mode, um, that dramatic action mode. And so, yeah, I think I think it was a great fit, you know, for me as this sort of strong female character branding that was Mm -hmm. going along
2: with. Yeah. And you were like deep in the Disney, like three big projects with them. How many years were you a Disney kid?
3: So I think at 21 was when I kind of realized I really wasn't going to get hired anymore by them. Um, mm-hmm. But the TV show was, all of my TV shows, well, both TV shows were in syndication for 10 years. And what I learned fairly, uh-huh. I don't know, late in the game was that that's pretty standard that after a show is syndicated, that it gets about 10 cycles. Wow. So and was that, that 10
2: years of checks?
3: Yes, but those okay. checks, but those checks, and this isn't common knowledge, decrease by 10% every year.
2: I did not know that.
3: So huh. that's why you have actors I know neither to die until like too late in the game. And it <laughs> was like, guys, this should be common knowledge, you know, like that like you have about 10 years, potentially 10 years to to and then you can plan accordingly. Yeah. Uh, I think that's why like a lot of child actors get caught in that trap of like, oh, I've got money, it's coming. Oh, it'll come at some point. Like, oh. Mm-hmm.
2: But and it, it stops at some point. It does. Was there, it has yeah. To. Was there a moment for you where you like the Disney check stopped coming and you were like, damn. Yeah, for sure. Do you remember when that happened?
3: Well, no, because I think as you see, as you're getting older and you're wanting to do things with your life or you're wanting to try to plan for the future. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a sort of like a, what do you call it? Uh, an accountant or mm-hmm. I don't know what you call them. Money manager. Yeah, yes, it like was that. like a money manager. Okay, yeah. It's not even a CPA, but he was like a business business manager. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And he was trying to sit me down at like 18, 19 and be like, hey, you know, you can't be like shopping this much or you can't be doing <laughs> this or that. And then he would tell me all the nuances of taxes and LLCs. And like, I was But like, you're 18. You can't but, but process that. You're more like, okay, I just want to get on set again. I just want to be mm-hmm. like, that's... So you didn't really want to learn about that stuff. And it's, it, there's no course as of right now that really helps these kids really truly understand their, their value and what it means to how they're spending the money and all that. So
2: Yeah. yeah. You have talked about the Disney money of it all. What was the YouTube video where it's was like, here's how I lost my money? That That's was, like my like, most
3: popular video. Yes, yes. Well, the Shia the one is is popular, but um, that one is close second. And people really care about finances. I think it's mm-hmm. a millennial thing. I think we've all struggled with our finances, so maybe we mm-hmm. can relate. And yeah. I think perhaps it's just this wild story of how I lost some of my money. <laughs> like,
2: what was psychics. the wildest part of the story of how you lost psychics. all your
3: money? Oh my gosh. I thought you knew, Sam. Okay, <sighs> so basically... I spent money consistently in a way that was unhealthy because I think it made me feel empowered.
2: This was my money. I earned it. I spent it for what I want, right? Yeah, You're right. Now, you you're mentioned absolutely. the psychics. I have read about this, but I want you to explain it to our listeners. Some psychics had a bunch of your money at some point, huh?
3: Two. Twice. Oh my
2: goodness. Tell me, tell me <laughs> what happened.
3: Oh, so you're, you're, oh my gosh, your listeners are gonna be like, who is this crazy girl? Um, so basically like I, I had some relationships that ended, um, <laughs> two, two big ones. I've really only had three. My husband was my third, third time's a the charm.
2: There you go. Dodged yeah. two bullets. <laughs>
3: and, um, yeah. So basically when I got out of these relationships, I was looking for answers. I was burnt out From working on Broadway, I was Belle uh, uh, in Beauty and the Beast on Broadway, which was so wonderful uh, and so much work to do eight shows a week. If, you know, that's it is if even for the folks that are still doing it to this day, it's a certain breed of performer that can just do that and hit all their marks. Yeah.
2: It's like to get one good performance a week is a feat to do it eight times. That's hard. (laughs) That's hard.
3: Yeah, yeah, because like Katy Perry does one performance probably a week or so, I don't know how <laughs> yeah. the tour, the tour, tour schedule works. Yeah. But like, yeah, there's she's not doing eight shows
2: a week. Yeah, exactly. no, it's I would not, hope not.
3: She's awesome. But there's downtime. And, and yeah. so with that, there's pretty much no downtime when you mm-hmm. look at that. And mm-hmm. when you're when you're going through it, I was also post op uh, of throat surgery. I had to get oh. my throat. Surgically, like I have these things on my vocal cords called nodules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I had to get them taken off a month before starting rehearsals
2: for this. Oh my God. So pretty
3: much like, yeah, they were like waiting for me to get the surgery and they were like, okay, now she's clean. Like she can sing, she can belt. And so I had, I was really burnt out basically. And so I had a a psychic approach me at the stage door and she's like, "Mm mm-hmm. That's your first red flag. They don't, Uh they're technically, I guess they're not supposed to approach you or something. I
2: don't know. Yeah, yeah.
3: The code. But um, she approached me and she's like, I have the answers for you. Call me, blah, blah, blah. So I started this relationship with this woman Mm -hmm. who really, uh, my dad would call it Svengali'd me, but like essentially Mm. knew exactly what to say. I was the perfect person for her to kind of lock into. You know, I had a struggling relationship with my family because I felt like, you know, I didn't, I, I felt like the dynamic had been so long, me being this actress and then becoming this famous actress, that the the goods of the family unit had been displaced and defunct for a while. Mm. So it was like, it was very unstable in terms of like how, I wouldn't have probably respected anyone's opinion about this. So oh yeah, like you said, this is my money. This is how I want to spend it. That was what it was. Yes, I'm in
2: control. Yeah, yeah. That
3: was what it was. It was me being a child, essentially.
2: How much money went to the psychics, first and second, overall, you think?
3: Let's see, let's see, let's see. So the first one, I think, I can't really remember, but I will tell you, it was so dumb. Oh my God. Even to this day, I'm like, oh God, I hate talking about it. Uh, It's one of my greatest shames, if not my greatest. And Let's see. So the first woman, like, it was little bits of readings and candles that she would buy at the psychic guy or whatever bookshop it was and she would give me powders to like it was it was i guess mm. witchcraft but like yeah i didn't think of it that way i yeah. was just doing whatever she told me to do and mm-hmm. so you know they they it became more and more expensive then finally she's like christy you are screwed
2: <laughs> wow she goes you wow. need
3: to do this crystal you need to buy this crystal it will clear out all of the negative energy in your life, it will reset everything for you, and you can only do it if you buy this amethyst. And it's going to be a really large amethyst that you're going to have in your house, everywhere you go. And I promise you. And she made me so scared at a certain point that if I didn't listen to her, that I was, I was, I was DOA. Like mm, my How life, much was the amethyst? I think it was. She quoted me like forty thousand dollars. <sighs> so.
2: Wow, I'm so sorry. So,
3: it's okay, but then. What's worse is that when I moved back to L.A. a little bit after that, I had another, uh, well, this one was really truly the breakup. Uh, I I went into a psychic's office and I said, this is happening because I didn't get the amethyst. Give me the amethyst. Oh, yeah. 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 So, and I'm not, I obviously, I'm not, I wasn't drunk or high or anything like yeah. that. I wasn't yeah. in a psychotic episode. I was just so, sh- I was, I was raised Catholic you know i think overall magical thinking mm-hmm. tends to become a thing that child actors end up dealing with if i just do this i'll get the job if i just mm-hmm. so the magical thinking element of it i think yeah. really overtook my life and yeah. so yeah that was that was i think another like 40 or something like
2: that okay yeah. so then i hear you tell the story and, like, I hear you say that there's shame around it, but a lot of folks go through this. A lot of former child actors go through a struggle once they're done child acting. Mm-hmm. But they don't share their wisdom and what they learned <laughs> Good for on it. YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Did you see Brooke Shields was yes. on Drew Barrymore's show? Yes. yes. And they got really deep about the horrible shit they experienced as child girl actresses. Very bad. And they basically said... We both lived through Me Too shit, but when Me Too was happening, we didn't feel empowered to talk about it because we thought as kids that we were complicit. I felt like I couldn't speak to the movement and I was so happy that it was happening, but I felt like I experienced too many things that were so gray and so awkward and that I didn't know were wrong at the time. And then you see Drew and Brooke get like nose to nose and kind of tear up. And it's, I wonder... I see that and I'm like, I'm so glad they were able to share that and bond over that. But how much more freedom and peace could they both have had had they shared those truths earlier, at least for themselves, right? And I wonder, when you see other child actors or actresses in adulthood not living in their truth the way you are, like, what do you do? How do you react? Because, like, as we said, you're an outlier, you know? (laughs)
3: Christy Romano, outlier.
2: (laughs) I love it. I love it.
3: Um, I got to be honest with you. Yeah. Because I like you. (laughs) I like you too. (laughs) Um, I was pissed for like a while. I was like, Mm. why can't these people come and support me? Like, I'm, 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 you know, I'm putting my reputation on the line. Why can't people, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm A-listers like Drew Barrymore, why can't they just start advocating for change? And like, why can't we get legislation and blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah and then Allison Stoner who's a, a now a friend and she's a part of my coalition for child performers um she really empowered me to understand that you know people are in their trauma that part and
2: you cannot rush
3: you cannot rush them out of it
2: mm-hmm. and
3: so when we ask like you know why aren't they coming forward i can't assume to know why unfortunately Yeah, Um, I can only sweep my side of the street.
2: Bam. Hey, listeners, before we go to break, I want to tell you about something that we're starting this summer. This show's very first book club. I'm so excited. And we're kicking things off with one of my favorite writers, Brandon Taylor, and his book, The Late Americans. It's a novel called The Late Americans. And it is, I think of it as like a group portrait
1: of young people in iowa city and it follows them across
2: a year and i was just trying to capture a sense of like what it was like to be alive during this wild time we call late capitalism so here's loosely how it's going to work we are now giving into it listeners the assignment go get the late americans and start reading the book we're gonna be taking questions and comments and all kinds of things from listeners. So when we have Brandon back on to talk about this book and do our book club conversation, it's going to include you listeners. Just like, have fun with it, be open, have a good time. Reading is supposed to be fun, guys. I will say there is one rule for book club. Don't you dare fold a hardback book so much it'll just break <sighs> the spine. Don't do it. Oh. You know better. Don't break the spine. Don't break the spine. Don't break the spine. You won't break my spine. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Club outside. (laughs) We are in club. Club outside. Beyonce said you won't break my spine. (laughs) LeVar Burton would not want you to break the spine. Don't do it. What more could one want? Oh my God.
1: You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Let's talk, if you're cool with it, about just like the average working day of a Disney child star. You're going to set for (laughs) Even Stevens. You're going to set for the movie, whatever. Like, what does your day look like? What's your call time? Mm -hmm. How busy are you? How many people are around you? Like, what does it look like a day in the life of an average Disney child star?
3: Usually you have pretty early call times. Everything is like a ticking clock as soon as you step foot as a minor on the set, which is good. Mm. But you can work a certain amount of hours. And then Mm -hmm. when you hit 16, and then when you hit 18, it like advances, right? So a lot of people will emancipate themselves at 16. So they can
2: work all the hours they want? Right. Wow.
3: Right. So yeah. I never did that. Um, okay. And Disney never ever suggested anything like that. And uh, the more I realize when I speak to folks that worked over at Nickelodeon, the more I realize how I am a little bit more. <laughs> mm-hmm grateful of having worked with Disney because they
2: oh they were
3: they were very sh- they were very strict everyone was I think background checked and um in general our executive producers were pretty good guys now I think like when I hear these stories about you know the Dan Schneiders and the folks over there even on an executive level that just turned a blind eye to this repetitive behavior and now we see all these kids coming out, it makes me angry because yeah. those things could have been avoided and uh, treated more professionally. So I tend to kind of like be grateful for working for Disney, really? you know? You, yeah. yeah. And trust me, I've given it some thought. I'm like, okay, am I saying this because like I want to work for them? Or am I yeah. saying this because I know that my experience, at least while working, wasn't unsafe for the most part? Okay.
2: So in doing this work, you obviously share some of your story but you have to draw that line about how much you'll share and how much you won't. How do you make those distinctions? And how do you do it in a way that is just not like living in just the pain of it that might've existed? Because you do this thing where you're nostalgic in a way that is not depressing, but you're also honest. (laughs) Yeah, no, but like, but you're honest, but you're not, I, I'm not getting my words right, but you No, you are. You, I think you, you, you thread right. this needle really carefully and I want to know how you do that.
3: So when when it comes to my YouTube videos or even vulnerable my podcast, basically um I think that's why I, somebody the other day I had to laugh because it was a total uh-huh. troll. It's an internet troll and yeah. they were like you're the you're the, you're, the, you're the I'm sorry, this is That's no, okay. It's okay. I, this is my second interview that I mentioned this to. You're <laughs> the Walmart Drew Barrymore.
2: Whoa, did he mean it nice or bad?
3: I was like, Walmart's a great store. Walmart's
2: (laughs) actually, they have what you need. (laughs) Damn, how do you react to that?
3: I know, but see, well, so old Christy, who was in Mm. her twenties, you know, Mm -hmm. who was new to social media Mm -hmm. and didn't feel like she had any agency and she was waiting for the phone to ring Mm -hmm. and she was terrified of her shadow Mm -hmm. and she didn't stand for anything and she didn't have a point of view would have been debilitated for, like, the entire day and then would have mm-hmm. been like, okay, I'm just going to go out and drink and dance mm-hmm. and, like, forget about it. I'm not like that, you know? Like, I'm like, that's fucking funny. Good job.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that was a good one. Good I'll one. give it to you.
3: That was colorful. Um, You know, I just think I've learned so much from the girl that I used to be.
2: Some of these videos, the titles of them, and even stuff we talk about, you know, on, like, the podcast... I could see there being backlash from some corners of the industry. Like there was one called how Katy Perry got my record deal or why I don't talk to Shia LaBeouf or how I lost all my money. And it's like, is there ever any hesitation in that kind of sharing and the sharing on your podcast? Is there any fear of backlash or hesitation or who will say what? And if so, how do you deal with it?
3: So initially there was when I first started doing that. But what I realized is, is that if you don't create value, your videos won't be seen. You won't be able to grow like that's the brass tacks of being a creator and a businesswoman. Mm. Um, so my husband and I, who are producing partners, um, I think we really just were like, let's give the people what they want, like that are And so and in doing so, not only did I deliver on what I teased and you click know, clickbaited people for, but I did. So I didn't clickbait traditionally, right? I said yeah. these crazy things, but then I talked about it and then I unpacked it. And I call it like making the kids eat their vegetables. I left Hollywood, which is really weird to say, because I never thought I would. I always considered myself a lifer. I always considered myself somebody that was never going to exist anywhere else outside of either New York or Los Angeles. It's like okay. they came They came for the tea, but then they got something more uh, if they just watched it. And so what I realized is there's so many people on the Internet that don't watch it and make mm-hmm. comments. So it's just like, about oh, the
2: title. They just right, see the just headline just yeah. read the
3: title and it's like okay well thank you for your click or thank you for your comment and your engagement and the numbers and like yeah. move on well
2: that's move the thing on. it's like people will see why I don't talk to Shia LaBeouf and think you're gonna drag him you don't really drag him
3: not really you're nice
2: you know <laughs> yeah. but, but like yeah you are, I love him like, you weren't like, you are, like picking fights and it's yes. like yeah there's a balance there there's also a balance it's like hearing you You can move really smoothly from talking about the heart of all this stuff to talking about the business of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And there was a comment I want to say you made to Texas Monthly. It's like, oh God, I'm so sorry
3: you had to read that.
2: I like. Come on.
3: Now you. Okay. I'm glad you liked (laughs) it. Stop it. Stop it. Oh Sam, (laughs) I had multiple. So I've never ever had this experience where it was almost like a sting. To is Christy wearing her eyelashes? Is she like what is she? Okay, so there's just, like, some things they said, like, she's a nearly 40-year-old woman. Is she in on the joke of these titles from YouTube? And it's like, I typed them into my computer. (laughs) Of course I'm in on the joke. So I think there's some ignorance surrounding the business of social media, for sure.
2: Yeah, well, and, like, it's a business. Like, it needs to... Produce income for you, it's work that you're doing, but there yeah. was this one line that they wrote around in the piece,, mm-hmm. and I wonder how you felt about reading it uh authentic but monetizing,
3: yeah, I and mean, that's accurate i I'll, I'll i'll be I'll be truthful because but here's the thing: would you guys rather watch Disney plus and like watch like people not make money or would you rather <laughs>
2: it's, <laughs> no yeah. it's really
3: it's you know yeah. what it is I've just yeah. thought about this it's like shop local,
2: there you go, yeah. 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 Be real that's about this stuff, but know that like we exist in a capitalistic society. You gotta make money. You gotta yeah, make it's money. like
3: shop local. I'm gonna give you the goods on what it is you're gonna try to get from a reality show. But mm-hmm. I'm doing it through my camera that mm-hmm. I own rather mm-hmm. than some production companies that's making me, you know, work for them.
2: All right, time for a quick break. Listeners, don't forget, rate and review this podcast, tell your friends, tell everybody. Loudly, please.
4: Calling all female runners, it's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why Milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community-building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com.
2: You know, you've talked about kind of making peace with Disney. You've talked about really making peace with yourself. But I think a question one always must ask a former child actor is like, are you cool with your parents?
3: Um, interesting. Really good. Really good. So I, my father has passed about, I guess, like six years now.
2: Sorry to hear that. And
3: you're okay. It's Yeah. He was, he was larger than life guy I think he definitely wanted to have a career that got him some sort of acclaim. But, you know, it was my mom who took me away from my three siblings to create this second life rather than just, you know, divorce my dad and kind of like mm-hmm. do the things that she needed to do for herself. Mm-hmm. And so I had to have this very kind of like codependent relationship with her for many years. But it was very sacrificial, you know, Um she wanted the best for me, uh, and this was the only way that this small farm t- you know farm girl from Ohio thought to do it. like there was no she was at risk from the start, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just a kid who had talent and uh, the type of compliant personality that allowed me to fit into this this atmosphere. So it was kind of like. I understand now, with an ironic distance that mm. like, of course, this happened this way, right? It happens every day out there mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. in the, in America. So, yeah, I mean, I get it. Um she lives here now in Austin, and um Are you I, close I, I, I yeah, we're close. I am very good at setting boundaries now. Let's put it that way, oh, yeah. And um, I filter the things she says around my kids. If like, you know, she starts to talk about the good old days, which she does quite often. um, Mm -hmm. I have to be sensitive in that that's where she finds her value in her life. That's her legacy. Mm -hmm. And it may not be my legacy that I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's times when if she goes off in an inaccurate direction, I bring her back. And I'm like, let's just be real. Like,
2: There you go. There you go. So I'm
3: kind. I'm kind, but I'm a little detached. And, um, I think, I think that I'll always love her for some of the sacrifices that I know had to be really hard as a mother to make.
2: So you've got two daughters and I can hear you talking about. Sam, don't
3: do it. Don't, don't ask the question. What's the question?
2: What's the question?
3: Oh, Sam, you're going to ask me if I would ever put my daughters in the business.
2: Not not if you would put them in there, but if they said to you, I want to be in the business, how do you respond? (laughs) I, I don't think you would limit your children. If they want to do a thing, you'd be like, well, let's make it work. But like, if they said to you earnestly, I want to try it.
3: Right, how old? But it's like, how old are they? There's so many circumstances that go into that now. Yeah, it's like, how old are they? Is -hmm. it worth my time because I still have my career? Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, and and um, I think that's what it comes down to is that I'm fully aware of the sacrifices that that takes as a parent, and I just don't know if I would be willing to do that. And it's not because I don't want the best for them. Um, you know, I want them to succeed in the arts if that's their chosen Mm -hmm. field. But it's like, here's the thing, and I. I repeatedly say this fame and um, uh, doing this whole thing of like going to Hollywood and making Mm -hmm. it big or doing Mm -hmm. whatever that is ancillary to an appreciation for a craft and an art form and having a relationship to culture and arts. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm so lucky that I did start in theater because as, as complicated of a relationship as I have to the things that i'm skilled at like the singing and the acting and all that yeah. stuff um, and i don't even sing anymore like it's something that i need to bring back into my life once i feel like i've finally settled some of my my triggering and my issues mm-hmm. i think i'll start to sing again um, but i, I just like want that. them oh thank yeah. you thank you i yeah. <laughs> want them to i want them to love the arts yeah. in a in a non-capitalistic lens
2: and, an, and also, it's like now every kid can be a mini Disney child star through their TikTok feed. And it's almost even worse now because like at least the Disney kids got paid. A lot of these kids slaving away, making TikToks all day, waiting for something, it may never happen. And it's just like screwing with their heads and they're not getting any benefit from it either. It's, it can be treacherous. Do you think it's better for kids performing today or worse, given these variables?
3: I think it's compounding. I think when you think mm-hmm. about me- media and new media, mm-hmm. I think that if there were going to be some legislation passed to protect the mental health of child performers or mm-hmm. high-performing children on the mm-hmm. whole, which could be athlete, athletes, musicians, high-performing children have a breaking point. And yeah. you know what I'm saying? And, and and so they're going through very similar experiences um Along the way, but if we were to just isolate legislation that was meant for child performers in the in the in the performing arts, mm-hmm. um I, I think that new media would have to be embedded into that, don't you?
2: Oh, for sure, for sure. It's like yeah. you can't talk about protecting children without talking about TikTok. You can't do it, right? Like yeah. that's a space that they're in.
3: <sighs> yeah, and YouTube with All the of bloggers. That stuff. And, yeah. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. So you can talk to. Young Christy on a set, kind of burnt out, but still pushing through. What's the first thing you say to her, to young Christy?
3: I would just say, I, I would probably be like, hey, just like focus on me. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to be here? Mm. I don't think anyone ever asked me, like, do you want to be here at a certain point? I think it was just expected. Um, Had and they if, asked if, you, if you,
2: would you have said no?
3: If I knew that I wouldn't have gotten in trouble, I think that there, the, more times than not, it probably would have been like, no, I kind of just want to, I just, if if it really isn't that big of a deal, like, it would be really great if I didn't. It
2: breaks my heart hearing you say that you thought you might get in trouble. That seems really <laughs> unfair of a pressure to have on a kid. That breaks my heart.
3: But it's an adult working environment. You're, you're signing an adult contract. You have to, you have to, pref- I guess you'd have to, like... I don't know. I, I it's it's, but I know that if I was going to reparent myself, I would literally yeah. take myself by the hand, like you said, pull me aside, and be like, "Are we going to go home? We can go home. You want to mm. go get like a McFlurry? Like, you, yeah. what do you need, babe? Like, yeah." And 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 to my mom's credit, I think she tried. She'd like she'd be like, "Oh, you look tired. I'm going to get you some orange juice." You know, it was little things like that where she would try to help. But, um, yeah, those options aren't really those aren't possible for child labor. You know, wow. performers.
2: Yeah, you mentioned the you mentioned pushing for some laws that would change this. What's the change that could happen right now that would have the biggest effect positively for kids on sets?
3: Uh, they need mental health advocates on every set. They need uh. either so, either social workers or they need and they need a, and they need a, a protocol. To report wrongdoings mm. or mental mental health stressors, uh, I think that there needs to be checks and balances here. So, you know, right now we have studio teachers, and studio teachers are extremely compliant to production needs. Um, mm. You know, they've I've seen them forge numbers, not on Disney sets, but I've seen them forge numbers um, of of uh, teaching hours, uh. and I've seen them just generally turn a blind eye. Um, and, and we're not just talking about Hollywood. We're talking about any state that does any production ever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no real. Uh, regulation that you can look back to and say
2: mm-hmm.
3: oh no i need to do this because it's not compliant and so what we're talking about right now is intimacy coordinators on the set of euphoria who are making sure that like if someone's going to touch someone in a certain way like yeah. there needs to be and so that's the if this it's the same type of thing but why mm-hmm. would we do it for adults but we wouldn't start with for kids kids yeah
2: Well, listen, I appreciate the work you're doing on this. I really appreciate your candor. And I got to say, I truly, even Stevens, one of my faves, (laughs) a really big part of my childhood. Uh, I'm a humongous fan and it was really nice to talk with you. And I'm like happy to see someone who meant so much to me as a kid doing so well right now. This was really nice. Thank you. Thank
3: you, Sam. I'm proud of you, too. You're doing a great job, too. Oh, my goodness. Thank you.
2: (laughs) Thanks again to Christy Carlson Romano. You can check out her podcast, like Even More Stevens and Vulnerable, wherever you get your podcast. Into is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Denae West, Dobby Grossman, Jelani Carter, Taka Zinn, and Travis Larchuk. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Listeners, we are back on Friday with a brand new episode. Till then, go watch some Even Stevens reruns. That show is so fun. I love it so. All right, bye.
1: You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it.